Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. 901, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And time for today's big thing. And, Michelle, one aspect of the proposal of a 50-game season by Major League owners that we haven't talked about is that if they have a 50-game season, they could drag all of this acrimony out for another month and a half. They wouldn't need to start a season until mid-August, right? If they're going to play 50 games, they could play that between August 10th and the end of September. So we, we could theoretically have this argument go until late July. Ugh. We're on June 2nd. And we could have owners saying, yeah, well, uh, we'll talk to you. Because apparently the clause calls for the owners to negotiate in good faith. And once they reach the conclusion that they can't reach an agreement, that's when they can invoke the 50-game season. So we could have these what we believe are bad faith negotiations for another month and a half. We could have to deal with this stuff, for lack of a better term, for a long time before we find out we have a season. Imagine how fatigued we are by this now Mm -hmm. and add another month, month and a half on top of that. And you know that there will be definite sniping back and forth before that's agreed upon. Gosh, that is, I don't even want to consider that to be an option. I just, I hope that at some point very soon, because the clock is ticking, that both sides will say, all right, enough of this. Let's just, you'll give this, I'll give this, let's get it done. And here's how far things have gone. This is Jeff Passan of ESPN. The league doesn't want to do 6,214 games. It's talking even fewer than that. And the big question at this point is going to be whether the players are willing to do something that short. Because remember, if you're playing 50 games instead of the 82 that was proposed initially, if you're playing 50 out of 160, you're looking at all, you know, less than a third of their salary there. Is that something that the players are going to be willing to do? The league believes that in that March agreement. It has the ability to set the schedule. Now, we have to remember, this March agreement has been a bone of contention already. The league has not believed that the players have the right to a full pro rata share from that agreement. That's something that the players have been stuck on. If Let's put yourself in the shoes. It's kind of unfair because he is the highest paid player, but Mike Trout is a $35 million player, $36 million player. Is it worth it for a guy like Mike Trout to play 50 games, two months, this team's not going to make the playoffs, for $12 million? No. And, and not only that. I think it is. You do? $12 I, million for two months? Sure. Well, 
I guess, but he, I, I'm looking at Mike Trout, who's already come out saying that he doesn't necessarily feel comfortable at some mm-hmm. of the health and safety things about how he's expecting a baby, leaving his family. If you already have tens of millions of dollars, what's, I understand $12 million is a large sum of money for 50 games, but it's also, I, I don't know, I think about the people who don't already have th- that mo- that financial equity where they can't be making those decisions. To me, those are the people where it's more valuable to go out there and, and get 50 games, whether it's 50, 100, whatever. And that's 65% of baseball players that are making less than right. a million dollars. 900,000, let's throw that out there because the minimum is like 565,000. So let's throw the number 900,000 out there. So two months and maybe playoffs, plus you would get a playoff share if you're in the playoffs. Yeah. But two months if your team misses the playoffs and you make 300 grand. That's a pretty good two months. Yeah, I would say so. so and those players don't have a voice right now. Right. Those players, that 65% is completely overshadowed by the Big biggest time. money guys. And that's what I was thinking about Mike Trout is He's closer to the owner's side of this, and if there's not a 2020 season, he's not going to be financially devastated like some, like the 60% we're talking about may potentially be. He he could financially weather a, a missed season. It's not going to impact him in that way. I really thought, Michelle, that we would be talking about games sooner than this, and if we're going to have a 50-game baseball season, logic would dictate that it's going to start after August 1st. We're talking about the end of July, early part of August for the NBA, talking about that for the NHL. So we're talking essentially about most of a summer without sports, June and July without sports now. The first thing to come back might be NFL training camps. That's crazy. Because when all of this started, I think most sports fans out there thought, okay, baseball will be back by the 4th of July. It seems mm-hmm. like baseball is, is it's the safest option because of the way people are structured actually in the game where they can physically avoid one another to most extents. And it seemed like based on the target dates we were hearing that it seemed like baseball would be the first back. So to think that hockey, NBA, NFL training camps could be back before baseball, mm-hmm. So frustrating. Do you think, because I really don't know what to think here, so I want to see if you have an opinion on this, that we just have COVID-19 fatigue, and that's why we aren't talking about the dangers of coming back. Is it just based on the fatigue? And, well, we've had it for three months now, and it's not as big a deal as we thought. Or... Do you think there's really clear medical belief and knowledge that they don't have anything to worry about? The truth might be somewhere in the middle or the perception might be somewhere in the middle. I think from where we sit in St. Louis, businesses have started to reopen. People have, uh, you know, some people have lessened some of the restrictions that they have in their daily lives. So we're going back to air quotes normal as much as normal can be. And so part of that normalcy is sports. But I also think when you hear a lot of these discussions being happen or that are happening around sports and health and safety are not being discussed, it's all about money. The the issues that present itself with the health and safety that that the pandemic exists with COVID, if they're not being discussed, it's in the back of our minds. Right. We're looking at this as a purely financial dispute at this point. At the beginning of this, we're talking about, okay, how, how do players safely get in these controlled environments to where they can be near one another and be able to compete without getting sick or potentially getting someone in their orbit, their family, etc. sick. Now it's all we talk about is logistics, it's money, so it's, it's hard for us, I think, to 
put the health and safety of the players first when those aren't the conversations that we're having. One other baseball note for you. The Cubs tweeted 12 minutes ago, the Chicago Cubs condemn racism in all its forms and decry violence against members of the black community. Bias and discrimination have no place in our society. We support peaceful protests and pledge to channel our energies to rebuilding our city, especially the disenfranchised neighborhoods, as a way to build a stronger Chicago. By our example, we hope to build bridges and elevate the issue of equality for all members of society. So the Cubs have made a statement. The Cardinals are rivals. Good statement, too. It is. You know, build bridges and make Chicago a stronger place. I am such a fan of what the Cardinals do. That Let me give you an example. Until this new office was built by the Cardinals at Ballpark Village, there had not been A-level, Class A office space built in downtown St. Louis since 1988, 98, 08, 18, 32 years since the Metropolitan Square building was built until uh, the Cardinals built this. They obviously have done great things with financing their own stadium, building the hotel, trying to do everything they can to enhance and better the city of St. Louis and specifically the downtown area. I am honestly shocked that the Cardinals have not come out with an announcement yet or the Blues about this situation. Most pro sports franchises have, and it seems like it's just a formality, and I don't know why they haven't. It's bewildering to me. It's almost as if at this point, not saying something is more of a statement than actually Mm -hmm. saying something. And, you know, we're seeing Jordan Bennington, Marco Scandella, some of the Blues players start to put out statements and have dialogue about what's happening in our country. But Cardinals players have been talking about this for the past week. We we talked about it on the show yesterday. Adam Wainwright, Dexter Fowler, Jack Flaherty, just to mention a few, have been very active on social media talking about this. So when your players, when the people that you employ are talking about this... That's when I guess I look at the Cardinals more specifically to say, if they're taking a very vocal role in this, I'm surprised that you haven't said something. And by the way, John Mozeliak did send a note to Mark Saxon yesterday that Saxon put on Twitter that Mozeliak had made a statement on KMOX on Sunday morning. But for me, the reality of the situation is, is that organizationally, they have not come out with an official statement. So, And... Uh, I think we should also note that uh, MLS for the Lou did make a statement. Our MLS franchise uh, 12 hours ago turned out a statement that said the MLS for the Lou family supports those in St. Louis and around the world standing against racism, hate, discrimination, and injustice. We encourage the fans of our future club to join us in listening, learning, speaking out, and standing up now and together. That's from MLS for the Lou. And... Travis Ford made an impassioned tweet. If you follow Coach Ford on Twitter, uh, the Billikens also made their statement. So, uh, and Conzo Martin, uh, also a very impassioned statement uh, on his own. So, sports organizations, uh, Eli Drinkwitz, our buddy, we should also point out, also po- uh, spoke up on Twitter. So, it's just notably our two existing playing pro sports franchises that we haven't heard from. And that statement that you just read from MLS for the Lou. It's it is it's an impactful statement, but it's so simple. We don't support hatred. We don't support racism. We want to be a part of a solution. That's not a controversial statement to make. 
It's not a controversial <laughs> statement. It, it's a wonderful statement, and I appreciate them for, for saying that. But I don't know why a, a big organization would avoid saying those simple words is all I'm getting at. That's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. It's coming your way. Michelle will have those fun items for us next. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. All right, Michelle, what do we have today? Well, Randy, let's start with something that's kind of a bummer. We got news at Clemson wide receiver, wide receiver, just wide receiver. Sometimes it's hard to say wide receiver. Justin Ross is going to have surgery later this week. He's going to miss the season. Back in March, he suffered a stinger, and after ex- going through some X-rays, it revealed that he actually had been born with a congenital fusion. So two of his spinal vertebrae were fused together and functioning as one. And this is obviously a very tough blow for Clemson, but for Ross as well, he was a projected first-round pick in next year's draft. So, you know, hopefully he can rehab and and get back out there. But we know a spinal surgery, back surgeries are very serious. Yeah, and when you get into that spine area, especially when you have a fusion, when when they're fused surgically, that causes big problems. That's what Peyton Manning had up in his neck. And that is a shame because he's a good player and had a chance to be really good. Interestingly... Well, maybe not to you or anybody else, but for me, it's interesting. Uh, The very first day I ever started playing football in eighth grade, I got hit in the back by a helmet, and it laid me up for like a week. And finally, I I got to the doctor, and they did an x-ray, and I'm missing part of my vertebrae. So uh, your vertebrae are shaped like a little schnauzer dog. (laughs) And it's like one schnauzer's dog's head goes in, like, uh, from the side. It's like a puzzle piece goes into the next schnauzer dog up. Okay. And I'm missing one of my Schnauzer dogs. And so they told me that, uh, the doctor told me, this is in eighth grade, that, hey, you aren't going to play football or anything anymore because this is just a real issue. And sit-ups are not a good thing, but this was when I was in eighth grade. <laughs> and he said, you got to do sit-ups every day. You have, your core has to be so strong. Obviously, my core isn't really strong. But he said, you're, you have to build your core up so that you can avoid injury because you're missing part, part of your vertebrae. So did you... Do abs every day? For a while. Obviously, <laughs> not forever. <laughs> Has it impacted you? Uh, I have uh, excruciating back pain once in a while. Ooh. It's the worst. I've never liked that. Never like when I was in eighth grade. That was the worst. But uh, yeah, that's so the vertebrae is a serious issue. The, what? the moral of my story. Yeah, for real. What position did you play in football, Randy? I would have been a defensive lineman, a slow defensive lineman. <laughs> I could see that. Or maybe a slow offensive lineman. That that day I was a defensive lineman, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, anyone that's ever had back back pain, you know it it affects everything. It's the worst. So here's how that happened, by the way. At the... During spring of seventh grade, so April or May, the football coach is walking down the hall and he comes up to me. He's a math, he's my math teacher, so he knows how stupid I am math wise. He says, You're a big guy. Why don't you come out for the football team? That's why I did, because he thought I was a big guy. And then I wound up being an injury issue. <laughs> and then you went straight to IR. Yeah, exactly. Forever. <laughs> You're killing me, Small. So another guy who's dealt with injuries is Cam Newton. And a lot of people are out there saying, wow, kind of surprised that, that he hasn't landed somewhere yet. And his former head coach, Ron Rivera, was asked why he thinks Cam Newton hasn't found a home yet. And he said just that, injuries. He said that's probably the biggest thing more than anything. Had to know the, guy, the foot and the shoulder will be the two biggest concerns that everybody has. If I were a team, 
I'm talking to you, Pittsburgh Steelers, that has a question at the starting quarterback position and a bad backup. The first time I'm able to get a doctor to look at Cam Newton, I am going to try to sign him. There isn't going to be a starting job out there for Cam. He's not going to get $12 million. If he still wants to play football, then he signs a one-year deal for 4 or $5 million to back up a guy like Ben Roethlisberger. It would be foolish for teams not to take that approach. And I would think that you, you could find a doctor, couldn't you, that would do a physical for Cam Newton? Probably. I mean, I'm sure if he wore a mask or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure there's there's precautions that could yeah. be taken to where a doctor could physically see him. I mean, I know here in Missouri, I have friends who are going to the doctor. I have a friend who just had a baby, so she obviously mm-hmm. had to go to the hospital and, and see doctors. So I'm sure that if a team was that interested in signing him, they could figure out a way to get him an in-person physical and make sure that he's cleared and ready to go. If I'm not mistaken, Todd Gurley still hasn't taken his physical with the Falcons yet either. Maybe it's an issue of Cam Newton not wanting to take the physical right now. But I mean, yeah, I could see that, but he's, it's inevitable. Wouldn't you rather get it over with now and then hopefully get signed by someone? Shouldn't you want to prove that you're healthy? But he can wait a month or more. True. Training camp doesn't start until like July 20th or whatever. So he's got time. Sure, but if you're Cam Newton and you want to be a starter or you want to be in the position to be a starter, don't you want to land somewhere as soon as possible so you can start learning the playbook? You can start meeting with your teammates. You can start having that dialogue mm-hmm. with your coaches. That's that's the way that I look at it. If he's someone who says, I, I'm good enough still to be a starting mm-hmm. quarterback. But there's nobody that's going to tell him he's a starter. He's going to sign for backup money. He, there are no jobs, even the Chargers. They have a rookie and they have Tyrod Taylor and they say they're comfortable with what they have. Ron Rivera. Same thing. He, he's got a second-year guy and doesn't really have much backing him up. Cam Newton would be a great option for them to compete for a starting job. But nobody wants to give Cam their starting job, I guess because they're worried about him, his viability as a 16-game player. You're killing me, Smalls. So speaking of starting quarterbacks, Randy, Tom Waddle, ESPN 1000 in Chicago, was talking about the quarterback situation with the Bears, and he believes Nick Foles is going to be the Bears' QB1, not Mitchell Trubisky. He said, quote, you don't trade a fourth-round pick and give up $20 million guaranteed to a quarterback and sit him behind a quarterback you don't have full faith in. It's reasonable that they wouldn't have faith in Mitch Trubisky, who interestingly did lead a team that went 12-4 and and to the playoffs a couple of years ago. He would have been playing in the second round of the playoffs if Cody Parkey doesn't do the double doink. So (laughs) there is some ability on the part of Mitchell Trubisky, but I guess what they saw last year, that one season, has given them enough belief that they messed up in trading up to get him. And I know that they're saying that Mitch Trubisky is their guy and Foles is there as protection. I tend to side with Waddle here, though. I don't think you make that move if you think that Nick Foles is going to be a backup. And I know there's a lot of Bears fans out there that have lost faith in Trubisky, Mm -hmm. but does Nick Foles really do it for you either? I mean, I know that he went on that unbelievable run with the Eagles. You've you've seen him have postseason success, obviously won a Super Bowl, but still Nick Foles at this stage in his career. Right, and he's not going to be able to play 16 games either. He's had all kinds of injury issues. He did have that unfortunate year here in St. Louis. Oh, so rough. Yeah. But he knows their offense. I think they have other issues that they need to address, including the people that those quarterbacks are throwing to in Chicago. There's not many St. Louis Rams players really still out there, at least the ones that Mm -hmm. that we were familiar with. But in the wake of the Rams leaving when they were kind of rebuilding the team. I wouldn't judge any player really on on their performance here in St. Louis. Don't 
especially offensive players. Don't judge any offensive player that played for Jeff Fisher. Great point. But also don't judge players that were put on a team that was constructed to lose. Trying to lose. No (laughs) doubt about it. You know, that's really difficult for me to say. I don't really believe that you could be good when you were put in a a position to fail. Well, and it's interesting that because there was a method to their madness. And this is one of the things that I do give them credit for. They were pretty disingenuous in the way they approached the move. And obviously that's going to come back to bite them in the court. But in trying to alienate the fans, in never getting a number, even though they had a number one overall quarterback who had a ton of ability, he never played with a left tackle that could play, and he never played with a number one wide receiver in St. Louis. So they defeated the purpose of having that number one quarterback, but they can say, well, we tried, we gave him all that money, but they never built an offense around him. Yeah. Really rough. You're killing me, Small. All right, last one, Randy. Everybody watched Tiger King during quarantine. That's what we did. Mm -hmm. So we have some Tiger King news. Oh, I like it. Carol Baskin has been granted control of Joe Exotic's former zoo in Oklahoma. Jeff Lowe has 120 days to vacate the property because, you know, Joe Exotic was found guilty last year of paying a hitman three grand to kill. Yeah. Carol Baskin. I, I get it. Hey, they're all you cool cats, cats and kittens, as we as we're aware. But yeah, she's granted control of his former zoo. So when you think about the the two, the battles that those two had, the sniping back and forth, that he was so possessed and that he was so angry at her that he literally paid someone to try to offer, and now she's got control of his zoo. That's got to be just devastating for him. Everything that he put into that zoo too. That was really kind of his life, wasn't it? Especially at the beginning. Yeah. I think at the end, he uh, was more into the fame aspect of it and wasn't really caring as much as about the animals. But in the beginning, right. I think. So for her to, especially for her to win in nonviolent way, because everything about that was kind of, it was based on violence, right? She got to him by killing her husband. <laughs> so Allegedly, Randy. Oh, allegedly. Yeah, right. oh, yeah. So to have a, a nonviolent scenario be the... The thing that causes the worm to turn is pretty remarkable. Carol, she's smart. Is she? Yeah. Well, she's cunning. She's cunning. Yeah, there you go. I mean, I guess if she allegedly killed her husband and no one's been able to pin that on her, you gotta have some brains, right? No doubt about it. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up as we approach the June 14th airing of. Long gone summer. We're going to talk to former Cubs pitcher Steve Traxel. He gave up number 62 to Mark McGuire at Bush Stadium and joins us next on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. Coming up on June 14th, the documentary called Long Gone Summer about that 1998 home run battle between Mark McGuire of the Cardinals and Sammy Sosa of the Cubs. And one of Sammy's teammates, longtime Cub, pitched 16 years in the major leagues is Steve Traxel, who joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Uh, Steve, it's great to have you with us. Thanks so much for taking some time. How are you doing this morning? Doing good, Randy. Good. Nice to see you guys. Michelle, good morning. Good morning, Steve. So, you know, as we gear up for Long Gone Summer, one of the things, one of the big moments that is going to be chronicled in this documentary is when Mark McGuire hit that record-breaking number 62 off you in 1998. Is there any part of you that feels that it's kind of cool to be involved in a big moment in baseball history, or is it just a home run that you wish that you could get back? Uh, a little bit of both, actually. Yeah, um, it kind of goes through waves through the through the years. Uh, obviously, when it first happened, 
uh, was not too happy about it. Um, you know, we actually had a meeting, and part of our pitching uh, meeting before the game. Me and Scott Service, you know, basically said to each other, we did not want to be, you know, the '62 guys, you know, to, so to speak. And uh, obviously, that didn't work out too well. Uh, the next couple of weeks afterwards was uh, kind of crazy with you know the, the, the media storm that followed it. Um, you know, we got to remember the Cubs. We were, you know, for the first time in a long time in a playoff hunt. So that kind of, unfortunately, took a back seat to uh, to that 60-second home run. But uh, as Mark got closer to number 70, it died down quite a bit. Kind of went away for a few years, and then about 10 years ago, it blew back up again. And uh, here we are 10 years later, it's coming back again. So hopefully uh, this documentary, one way or the other, will bring back uh, some baseball, because I think we all miss it. Oh, absolutely. And Steve, you mentioned that you actually had conversations about not wanting to be the guy that gave it up. Was there ever any thought in that moment to not pitch to him? Oh, no. No, that... that I don't know if the fans would have thought that. <laughs> I mean, every time you threw a, the umpire called a ball, you know, the the fans were going nuts. So, uh, no, I mean, we, we, we were really focusing on, uh, you know, winning that ball game, you know, trying to uh, put ourselves in playoff position. Uh, you know, as great a year as he was having, you know, Mark, you know, every hitter still has holes. So uh, we were just trying to concentrate on, uh, you know, working spots and finding ways to get him out. And uh, unfortunately, uh, my fastball in just tailed over the inner third of the plate a little bit, and that was it. Steve Traxel is with us on 101 ESPN, and I don't want to belabor this, but I do want to ask you this question, because when you make it to the major leagues and play as long as you did, it part of it is because you're so inherently competitive. So when he hits that home run, and your teammates are high-fiving him and low-fiving him, and Sosa comes in to hug him, what are you thinking then? Um, God, there's so many things. I mean, uh, there was definitely part of me in that exact moment that was definitely not happy about it. Um, you can see some of the reluctance, like when he rounds first and you see Mark Grace kind of stick his hand out. You can see it in his face. He's like, God, I really don't want to do this. But, you know, at the same time, this is history. You can see when he got to home plate with Scott Service. And, uh, you know, when, when Sammy came in, that just kind of, I think, took it a little little far I, I didn't go over with a lot of guys at that point that was a little bit more extreme um you know my, my contention at that point was this was mark's moment um sammy's moment was coming probably within a week or two we were all expecting but uh you know in the grand scheme of things it was great for baseball um cubs got to the playoffs um you know and and now it's going to hopefully turn out to be a really nice, good documentary. No doubt. Steve Traxel is with us on 101 ESPN, and you had played with Sammy since the time he got to the Cubs. And Mark said he really didn't know who Sammy Sosa was before June of that year. Did you really? see that coming? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you guys might have seen the documentary already. <laughs> um, yeah, that's actually pretty surprising. Um, I mean, I don't, well, maybe it's just, being in Chicago and, and having you know the the extra reporters with us all year, especially shooting June, I think he hit yeah twenty home runs that one just in that one month. So prior to that, we were getting all kinds of uh, extra press. So uh, yeah, I guess it just says you know what what Mark was focused on was was staying you know focused on what he was trying to do. Well, and, and it was it, before that month when he hit the twenty that got everybody's attention, obviously. But yep. before then, did did Sammy display that kind of power, just the raw power? So you could say, man, this guy's going to be a home run hitter. Well, yeah, I mean, he was what thirty thirty guy for a couple of years. Prior to that, you know, he was you know he was our number one, I guess, call it superstar on our team. He was the the face of the Cubs for the most part. So, 
you know, with the Cubs-Cardinals rivalry, uh, yeah, I find it hard to believe that he didn't know. Uh, maybe he didn't know what he was doing home run-wise, but uh, pretty sure he, he knew who yeah. Sammy Sosa was. <laughs> Steve, you mentioned that you had all sorts of extra press, extra reporters following you guys around during this run. But you also mentioned that here you are on a Cubs team that's making the playoffs for the first time in a long time. Was it difficult to balance that to, you know, keep your eye on the fact that, hey, this is a team that's making a playoff push while you're dealing with the home run chase that's going on simultaneously? Yeah, it, it got to be a little difficult. Um, I don't know how familiar you guys are with the with the Cubs clubhouse back in the day. and It wasn't very large. So, um, you know, and they didn't have a lot of places, you know, to do the off-site media. So I think, I remember, at one point, they actually took over the the team family room to kind of do interviews in there because they had no place to, to do large interviews. Um, you know, like I said, as it got closer to Mark getting to 70, it died down a little bit. And then as we got close to the playoffs, you know, kind of picked up. But at least it was in our favor. They were concentrating on us getting to the postseason. Um Luckily, being you know as a pitcher too, I'm you know once every five days, so it wasn't as bad as you know. I had some church Sammy obviously had to do a twenty thirty minutes every day. You know, Mark Grace, Rod Beck, you know those the type type of guys that were more the face of our team were doing daily interviews about it. I was going to ask because uh, Gary Gaetti told us that one of the advantages of having McGuire here was that he took a lot of the media attention away from the rest of the players. In some small way, did the the home run chase take not not take away from, but it distracted the media so that it was easier on you guys to focus on a, a pennant race. Um, I think it was a positive distraction. Um, if if mm-hmm. we, you know lost a couple of games and they could kind of focus on you know Sammy's home runs versus us maybe not making it to the playoffs. Um, I mean, we all know how the media can kind of sw- turn things and 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 make things negative. And it, I think it helped keep a, a positive spin to anything that we were doing, whether you know we had won or lost. Steve, we're obviously very excited about the debut of this documentary. We're trying to learn as much as we can before it debuts. But did you participate in any interviews for Long Gone Summer? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, I, gosh, it was uh, just over a year ago, though. So I, I know the documentary was supposed to be submitted to the Tribeca Film Festival. It was supposed to come out in spring training. And obviously, with, you know, with COVID hit, all that got canceled. So... Um, yeah, I did a good two, two and a half hours, I think. Uh, we did it at the baseball field up at UC Irvine here in California. Um, I have no idea who else they've spoken to. Obviously, you know, Mark and Sammy. Um, don't know how much of it I'm in. I could be in for 10 seconds for all I know, really. So, uh, But we covered a lot of stuff other than just the home run chase. You know, we did cover, you know, the, the, the Mets season, uh, the playoffs, you know, the one-game playoff that ended up pitching in uh, – against the Giants, and all those types of things as well. So um, I'm curious to see. I'm not even sure how long the documentary is. I don't know if it's an hour, two hours. If it's, I'm assuming it's only one part. I mean, I really don't know. Yeah, I think it is two hours on that Sunday okay. night, the 14th. Yeah, I know it's on the 14th, but yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I hope it's going uh, to be really good. I expect a, you know, a lot of good stuff to come out of it. The, the other, you know, we just got finished watching the Lance Armstrong the other night, mm-hmm. and obviously uh, the last dance was amazing, so... You know, all these documentaries that have been coming out have been all been great. Yeah, they've been fantastic. It's been fun to watch. Hey, Steve, I want to go back to Sammy and Mark bringing baseball back. You were a young player for the strike of 94, and you saw the effects that that have. What are your thoughts on the, the belief that that home run chase kind of brought baseball back? Uh, I think it's more than a belief. I think it absolutely helped quite a bit. Um, 
you know, obviously I was a rookie uh, in 94, so I had a lot to learn about, you know, the, the collective bargaining and, you know, the the way things went between the players' union and the, and the owners. And, uh, you know, obviously what we lost the, the Expos pretty much after that. So there was a, a lot of things that, that didn't go well at the end of that. But so uh, there was a lot of work to get to it. And obviously, you know, fans love homers. Chicks dig the long ball, as uh, Tommy, my old teammate Tommy Gladwin always used to say, and <laughs> and uh, so yeah, it was it was great to see the fans coming back, and you know, lots of extra time spent on uh, you know Sports Center showing baseball highlights, talking just about the, the home run chases. It wasn't just as well, mm-hmm. so um, it was all all you know instrumental. Steve, as as you are watching the way that things are playing out with the negotiations in, in baseball now, do you feel positive that a deal will get done? And as somebody that just said that you watched something that you brought baseball back to life, essentially, are you worried that if a season doesn't happen, it's going to take something like a home run chase or something major to bring a lot of casual baseball fans back into the fold if a season doesn't happen? Uh, I think there's definitely that fear, yes. Um I know that negotiations are going. I haven't been playing a whole lot of attention to it. Uh, once I saw that, I thought there was a kind of an agreement um, last month uh, for prorated pay and the number of games and all that. I kind of thought we were going to be really close. Um, I saw Texas the other day said that 25% of fans could you know, be, fill the stadiums. So I think those, those types of questions are starting to get answered. So I guess we just got to figure out how many games... If we're going to be able to play them in every stadium, uh, obviously the, the payroll, how that's going to work. So I'm not sure if that's changed uh, lately. Um, I think it might have been yesterday the, the Players Association increased the games. I thought we were going to be like at a half a season. Now we're looking at 115 games maybe. So there's a lot still to figure out, but uh, I definitely think they need to play this year. No doubt about that. Steve Traxel, before we let you go, you mentioned that you're in Southern California. How's everything going in regards to dealing with COVID-19 and being quarantined? Uh, how are you guys doing in terms of getting back to somewhat of a normal? Uh, we're doing pretty good. I think we've just started phase three either yesterday or today. Um, so, you know, everyone's going to get their haircuts and nails done. Uh, restaurants have been open for about a week and a half with outdoor seating. Um I think for the most part, we've been in good shape. I know here in San Diego, we've gone two straight days uh, with no deaths. So hopefully uh, we'll be back to, you know, whatever our new, new normal is going to be. But I'm looking forward to, you know, I'm a season ticket holder for our San Diego goals, which is the Anaheim Ducks minor league team. I'm a huge hockey fan, so I'm looking forward to getting that back. Excited that my Blackhawks are actually back in the playoffs whenever that gets started, <laughs> miraculously. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to, to getting some normal sports back. The golf courses have been open. Um, so I think we're, we're in a good shape. We're doing a little bit better than I think a lot of other places in the country. Um, but hopefully we keep moving in the right direction. Good. Well, stay safe. Take care of yourself. And thanks so much for taking some time with us. And uh, whatever length it is, we're looking forward to seeing you on Long Gone on the 14th. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, too. You guys uh, stay safe and uh, keep washing those hands. <laughs> you too, Steve. Thanks. All right. Thanks, guys. That's Steve Traxel, former Cub pitcher. He allowed number 62 to Mark McGuire on September 8th of 1998, 9-8-98. And he was great. He was great. It's so funny, too, how he mentioned he had a conversation prior to that game saying, I don't want to be the one to give it up. And then, lo and behold. 22 years later, he's getting phone calls about it. (laughs) From St. Louis. (laughs)
Coming up, we are going to visit with Danny Mac as we head towards Scoops with Danny Mac here on 101 ESPN. Dan McLaughlin will be with us next on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs, the crossover on 101 ESPN. Scoops with Danny Mac is coming up here on 101 ESPN. All right, what do you think of the idea of playing 50 games, broadcasting 50 games? Is that a real season, or is this one that you do have to put an asterisk next to? This one you do. Um, So let me answer that part. Yeah, this one is an asterisk by it. Um, Broadcasting 50 games? I broadcast one right now. I'm out of a job, (laughs) so uh, I would do anything at this point. Like You know, Dan Caesar, the Post-Dispatch, is like, you know... What do you think about um, if you guys are quarantined, if you will, or away from the field and where you have to broadcast? I said, I'd do it out of my kitchen. And, he, you know, he started laughing. I said, I'm serious. Mm-hmm. I would do it out of my kitchen. I mean, at this point, uh, I, I would do anything. I, I talked to a member of our crew yesterday that uh, works behind one of the, the cameras, and, and those people are hurting. You know, we, we want to all go back to work. We want to we work. We want baseball. And, you know, isn't that the interesting thing, that we're not hearing anything about the testing anymore? No. This is all about money. I mean, let, let's just face it. It's, it's about money. And as long as the safety and protocols are in place, in which it looks like they're agreeing to, to those, uh, they got to get this thing figured out and play. I don't care what it looks like, but you got to play something. And don't you think that's so frustrating for fans? Because you would think the safety aspect would be the more difficult thing, that that would be the thing that might hold this up from happening. It seems like yeah. money should be the thing that uh, that is the first thing to check off the off the list. This is America's pastime, right? Yes, correct. Last time I checked. <laughs> yes. And we want to do the, the right thing for the country. We want to do the right thing as we're watching riots and the city burning. Uh, we've had a sport that brought in Jackie Robinson. Mm-hmm. Don't we want to do the right thing? You'd think so. Isn't this part of it? Well, and from an ownership perspective, and the owners can guide this, America needs a distraction yes, from all do. of the bad news right now. Period. Period. I mean, we need we need it. Yeah. I, I just, I never realized, and again, I, I guess we've said this a million times, how much we as an American society miss sports mm-hmm. and it really is a diversion of what's going on in our everyday life. And so last night, there was no sports. Again, you've watched and exhausted Netflix or Showtime or HBO. And what do you do? You turn on your TV and you're watching what's happening in our country. And it's awful. It's sad. It's sickening. We need sports. I'm not saying sports corrects this, but, man, it'd be a nice diversion. I've been watching old episodes of 24. I'm in season two, Mm -hmm. and I was watching 24, and then I flipped on the TV to watch some violence. Yeah, exactly. It's terrible. And not only is sports a distraction, though, it's the the great unifier in a lot of ways. I mean, it brings together all different people from the community towards one common thing that they're rooting for, which is their city, essentially. Your city, your favorite fan, your neighbors get together, you talk about it, the water cooler, I mean, all the cliche things that you do, but it's all true. It is all true. It is all true. I mean, you can't tell me that the Blues Parade that I was a part of last year wasn't a beautiful, uh, joyous occasion for so many people in our city. I remember being on the bus going to the field at, at City Field in 
New York, and everybody, the players, the front office personnel, the media, everybody was on their phone watching. I get goosebumps thinking about it, watching the Blues Parade, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and how cool that was. Um, and the night before, being in Miami, and the Cardinals just lost 9 to nothing. I think was the score. It was probably the worst game of the year. And everybody was watching the Blues win the Stanley Cup in the clubhouse. And I was in, actually, the um, the uh, the clubhouse manager's office with Rick Horton. And we were watching. I, I got teary-eyed thinking about my dad, thinking about, you know, how cool this is. Uh, and then guys were taking video of them watching it live in the clubhouse. I just... It's a unifier. It really is. It's a, it's a neat experience, and we all miss it. We all want it back. So to your original point and question, Randy, I don't know where you guys stand with this, but 50 games, yes, th- that's an asterisk to me. Um, I, I think that uh, it'll still be viewed upon, though, in the greater position of where sports was in the world, where you say, okay, it was 50 games, but we all know why it was 50 mm-hmm. games. There was a pandemic, so take mm-hmm. it for what it is and take it with a grain of salt. But the thing is, they could play 90. The, the reason that they would yeah. play 50 is because the owners can force it down the player's throat, and they get their $777 million from TV money in the playoffs. I look at this as being really a negotiation over 32 games, because if you go to 114 or you go to the 50, you get back to 82, it's 32 games yeah. either side, so you're negotiating over 32 games. I understand why, if you're just looking at money, the owners are saying, look, when we play, we're not making money because we're not having fans in the seats. We're not getting our concessions. We're not getting our parking. We're not getting our beer and our soda and our popcorn and all that stuff sold. I get it. Um, But this is about the greater good that we talked about yesterday, which is, man, advance this story a year from now. Let's just say, hypothetically, there's a vaccine or we're all back to the quote unquote normal life. Where are we with your advertisers when we needed you? Where are you from the fan base, those that support you? You know, we need you. So step up. And that's one thing all of these billionaires understand or they should understand is sometimes you have to spend money to make money. In this case, it would probably be lose money to make money, but to preserve the the big-time financial viability of your sport, you need to play this year. And don't we have, if you run a business out there and you're listening to this show, I guarantee you've had some down years. Mm -hmm. You've had bad years. It happens. But you ride the wave and you look towards the future and you make your adjustments. Now, I can say all this and we can say all this. I'm not the one that has to write those checks. And there's big checks with no money coming in. I get it. Um, But... You would like to think that when these owners, some of them that are saying, apparently, that they don't want to have a season, that when they were approved, that they would be able to withstand down years. So why were they approved in the first place? You know, answer that question for me. Yeah, you have to be cash rich to own a pro sports franchise. It's just it's part of the deal. You know, I mean, I I get your your value when when they say uh, owner X is valued at seven billion dollars well that billion dollars or those billions of dollars are because of what your franchise is it's not cash but still having said that you still should be able to withstand and now this is a serious downturn and i understand it's a pandemic but man come together make this thing happen withstand it and dan we can go back to 1993. The reason that we don't have a football team right now is because NFL owners recognize that Jerry Clinton was not cash rich. Yes. His collateral was the $900 million lease, and that's how he was going to pay for his franchise, $150 million. They said, no, you have to have cash. You can't just count on a lease because something like this might happen, a pandemic, and then you aren't making any money off the lease. If 
if he would have had the cash, and this is why he was not approved by NFL owners, he would have had the franchise, we would have had the Stallions, we'd still have the Stallions. And I can understand why owners would want their guys to be cash-rich. To your point, if they aren't, they shouldn't have been approved. So if if if, if owners are saying that, um, you know, we, we can't make it through this, um, well, let's see it then. Just say, hey, you know, here here's my books. Here's here's mm-hmm. what I got. And I'm not talking about here in St. Louis. I'm talking about other owners that are saying, if we don't play, we're in trouble. Then show me. Mm-hmm. Show the, then, then I think the general public would say, okay, I got you. You're going to lose X amount of dollars. You don't have that kind of money. You can't withstand it. So we get it. But we don't hear that. At least right. I haven't. No, me either. One of my favorite things about this station, Michelle, I don't know if you agree with this, is when you don't give enough time for the crossover to BK and Rivers, and Rivers goes crazy. Yeah, he gets really <laughs> upset. Yeah. Really upset. Maybe i just go along today. Just I like to that idea. I, I, I might do it. You know what? Nothing else is going right, so why not make the crossover <laughs> crossover go wrong, too? Yeah, we're, that would be mild in comparison to what's going on in the rest of our community. Yeah, give me go. a break. When, so maybe I'll just get out of the show at uh, 1030 and say, Ribs and BK next. It's all and just yours. walk right out. <laughs> I'm walking out that door. I'm Rick Pitino right now. I love it. You know? Yeah. Whatever. And you're going to talk to your director uh, in Cardinal Baseball. I think this is... I'm going to say this too. I try to be positive. You guys have known that I I am I've been positive from day number one. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. they, they're going to play baseball. I do believe that. So, what would baseball look like on your television? It's going to be a different experience. So, Tom Me is the director of. He's done the Cardinals with me for over two decades. We do Billiken basketball together. We've done college football. And we've done hockey together. So, and he also did the NBA. So I want to get him on to, to talk about what it might look like, your experience as a fan at home. I, th- I think it'll be interesting just to hear if we should mic up players or should we pipe in crowd, whatever the case may be. And then maybe we get some uh, textures that have some ideas, too, because I, I do think it's a blank slate. So open it up and let these people have their say, too. Looking forward to hearing it. Thanks, guys. That's Danny Mack. Thanks to our producer today, Tommy Freeze Pops. Carol, be safe over there, man. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. We'll talk tomorrow. Colin Surrey running the board. He'll be with Dan during the Scoops with Danny Mac program. Michelle, this is always fun. Thank you. Great day again, Randy. See you tomorrow. Time flew by. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. And for all of us, until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture and the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.